MSW Media. Thanks to Ramp for supporting the Daily Beans. Ramp is a corporate card and financial software suite designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. And right now, get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash beans. And thanks to Athletic Greens for supporting the Daily Beans. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022. Today, the most significant al-Qaeda leader since the successful raid on bin Laden has been killed in Afghanistan. Reps Malone and Thompson from the House Oversight and House Homeland Security Committees send a letter to Kufari asking for documents and testimony from leaders in the Department of Homeland Security Office of Inspector General. Guy Reffitt gets over seven years, though the Department of Justice asked for 15. Trump's lawyers are planning for Donald to be indicted for his role in the failed coup attempts. And the 1-6 committee homes in on intelligence failures ahead of the Capitol attack. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everyone. I thought it would be 104. It's a little bit less than that. But we did have a significant amount of news today. And also later in the show, I'm going to be talking to my friend, founder of Healthcare Voice and Healthcare Voter. And she's a host of the Care Talk podcast. Her name's Laura Packard. That's going to be a conversation that you do not want to miss. And, um, you know, this is, it's still only Monday, but so much news is coming out and it's going to keep coming out. And there was a a letter, a four-page letter that I'm going to talk a little bit about that was sent from Rep. Maloney, House Oversight, and Rep. Benny Thompson from Homeland Security Committees to Kafari, the Inspector General at the Department of Homeland Security. And there were receipts, email receipts, and documentary evidence of a potential cover-up in that letter. I'm going to talk briefly about it, but I'm going to go over it line by line with Andrew Torres on tomorrow's Clean Up on Aisle 45 podcast. So tune in there. You don't want to miss it. And we have a lot of news to get to today. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. So while Donald was leading his Let's Go Brandon chants and taking mulligans at a Saudi-funded golf tournament this weekend, President Biden was taking out the leader of al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. The United States has killed Ayman al-Zwahiri, the leader of al-Qaeda, and one of the world's most wanted terrorists who oversaw the attacks of September 11th alongside the group's founder, Osama bin Laden, and that's according to U.S. officials familiar. Zawahari was killed in a CIA drone strike in Kabul over the weekend. That's according to officials familiar with the matter who spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss sensitive intelligence, though President Biden just came out and gave remarks to that effect. When U.S. forces withdrew from Afghanistan last August, Biden administration officials said they would retain capability for over-the-horizon attacks from elsewhere on terrorist forces inside Afghanistan. The attack against Zawahari was the first known counterterrorism strike since the withdrawal. A loud blast was heard in the Afghan capital at 6.18 a.m. Sunday morning. That's according to a spokesperson for the Taliban in a tweet that an airstrike hit a residential home in the capital city and claimed it was carried out by American drones. Now, this is important that his family was not there. He was on the balcony of his residential home 
and was taken out by Hellfire drones. Now, meanwhile, somewhere in Florida, Donald Trump's lawyers are preemptively preparing a legal defense against criminal charges from the Justice Department as the former president's lawyers are increasingly anxious that their client will be prosecuted for his role in the attempt to overturn the 2020 election. Members of the ex-president's legal team, according to Rolling Stone, have already begun brainstorming strategies and potential defenses. That's according to three people familiar with the matter and written communications reviewed by Rolling Stone. Trump himself has been briefed on potential legal defenses on at least two occasions this summer, according to two sources. That effort intensified after former Trump White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson testified in June before the House committee investigating the 1-6 attack on the Capitol. Quote, members of the Trump legal team are quietly preparing in the event charges are brought. That's one person familiar with the situation speaking to Rolling Stone. It would be career malpractice not to. Do the former president's attorneys believe everything Cassidy said? No. Do they think the Department of Justice would be wise to charge him? No. But we've gotten to the point where if you don't think criminal charges are at least somewhat likely, you're not serving the former president's best interests, unquote. Now, in their preparations, Trump's team has discussed strategies that involve shifting blame from Trump to his advisors for the efforts to overturn the election. That's per three sources reflecting a broader push to find a fall guy or fall guys. Quote, Trump got some terrible advice from attorneys who some people would argue should have or must have known better, says one of the sources with knowledge of recent discussions in Trump land. Quote, an advice of counsel defense would be a big one, they said. Other potential strategies include defense based on the First Amendment and the right to petition the government over a political grievance. Oh, so an attempted coup is a First Amendment right to petition your government. Okay. Such arguments are viewed internally as potential defenses against charges like the fake elector scheme. And I would like to reiterate that if anyone knows what's coming, it's the Trump PAC paid lawyers from multiple witnesses involved in the matter. We know, for example, that before she changed lawyers, Cassidy Hutchinson was repped by Trump bootlicker Passantino, who was being paid by the Trump PAC to hand over all her deposition transcripts to Donald and his legal team. So they know what's up. They're prepping for charges. And the first U.S. Capitol riot defendant convicted at trial was sentenced to more than seven years in prison today, the longest punishment handed down to date over the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Guy Reffitt, a recruiter for the right-wing Three Percenters movement in Texas, was convicted on March 8th on five felony offenses, including obstruction of Congress, actually obstruction of an official proceeding, as it met to certify the 2020 election result, interfering with police and carrying a firearm to a riot and threatening his teenage son, who was the one who turned him into the FBI. Prosecutors said Reffitt led a mob while armed at the Capitol and asked a judge to sentence him to 15 years after applying a terrorism sentencing penalty. U.S. District Judge Dabney Friedrich condemned Reffitt's conduct in handing down an 87-month sentence, saying in a nearly six-hour-long hearing, that his views espousing political violence were absurd, delusional, and way outside the mainstream. What Reffitt and others did at the Capitol, quote, is the antithesis of patriotism, she said, adding not only are they not patriots, they are a direct threat to our democracy and will be punished as such. Reffitt, who has proclaimed himself a martyr from prison, sought to legitimize efforts by himself and others to foment the rebellion against the so-called government tyranny, quote, believing he was going to forcibly remove state and federal legislatures and install a new government that will be approved by judges in the Constitution. Quote, nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing. And to this day, he has not disavowed these comments, said Friedrich, who, by the way, is a Trump appointee. 
Before Monday, the longest sentence handed down in the January 6th cases were just over five years for two men who assaulted police. The federal advisory sentencing range for Reffitt's case was 87 months to nine years. The defense for Reffitt, a 49-year-old former oil industry rig manager, asked for a below-guideline sentence of two years in prison. Attorney F. Clinton Broden said his client committed no violence and had no criminal history, yet prosecutors sought far more time for him than for defendants who have pled guilty to assaulting police, accusing the government of retaliating against Reffitt for going to trial. Friedrich refused to apply the discretionary terrorism sentencing enhancement, agreeing with the defense that prosecutors had not asked judges to do so for other defendants who, like Reffitt, had made extremely disturbing statements, but who, unlike him, had committed violence. Still, the judge said Reffitt took on a self-appointed leadership role outside the Capitol by encouraging and waving on a crowd behind him as he confronted police while carrying a handgun and a megaphone. Reffitt was also wearing bulletproof body armor, a helmet, and had plastic flex cuffs. Friedrich said that the fact that Reffitt was armed made his case very different from all other prosecuted to date, heightening the risk of serious injury to police, who courageously defended the Capitol, quote, as well as to everyone else present that day. Quote, patriots honor and respect the rule of law. There are plenty of people who feel that democracy isn't working for them. They are unfortunately a lot in the United States right now who feel that way. But in a democracy, the answer to that frustration is not rebellion, unquote. The request by the U.S. Attorney Office in D.C., which is overseeing prosecutions of about 840 siege defendants federally charged so far, was not binding on Friedrich, that request that they sent in who has now gone below prosecutors' recommendations in 22 of 24 January 6th sentencings. The longest sentence in the case uh, so far had been 63 months, given to a Florida man who pled guilty to attacking police with a fire extinguisher and a wooden plank, and a D.C. man who assaulted three officers and shattered a riot shield with a pole. And from Ryan Riley at NBC, although the House January 6th committee has presented evidence on the carnage law enforcement faced at the Capitol that day, It has devoted little time to law enforcement's failure to predict and prevent the attack, at least not publicly. But behind the scenes, sources tell NBC News, those failures have not been forgotten. As the committee prepares for an additional round of public hearings in September, it's expected to put more focus on the intelligence and law enforcement failures at the FBI and Department of Homeland Security that left police woefully underprepared for the mob that stormed the Capitol. Those failures will also be a key component of the committee's final report on January 6th. One of the online sleuths who has worked with both January 6th committee and the FBI has a little story that helps illustrate a lot of the Bureau's challenges in the sprawling federal investigation into the Capitol attack and why the FBI didn't do more to make sure law enforcement was prepared ahead of the attack, given all the alarm bells that were going off across the web. When the sleuth needed to send a large file to the January 6th committee, the sleuth popped those files over on Dropbox. When the sleuth needed to give something to the FBI, a special agent drove over to the sleuth's home to transfer the files manually. Due to late-breaking revelations, the committee's public presentations in June and July skewed more toward Trump's actions before and during the Capitol attack, but there's a lot that got left on the cutting room floor, including new information gathered by the Blue Team, which is the team that's focusing on law enforcement failures leading up to the attack. Now, a committee aide told NBC News last week that this blue team of investigators is singularly focused on the preparedness of and response by law enforcement, intelligence agencies, and the military. Quote, the team has conducted more than 100 interviews and depositions touching on these matters of security and intelligence across several federal and local agencies, including the FBI, the Department of Homeland Security, Fusion Centers, Office of the Intelligence and Analysis, among others. 
The team is looking into what intelligence these agencies had at their disposal, how that intelligence was analyzed, stitched together, and distributed, and whether law enforcement operationalized that intelligence. So that's what we're looking at in September. I hope they look at the Pentagon's reaction, or lack thereof, as well. 14 denials. Flynn's brother was in the room. Chris Miller's memo, kneecapping the police. And speaking of the Department of Homeland Security, as I said at the top of the show, Rep. Maloney of the House Oversight Committee and Rep. Benny Thompson, chair of the House Committee on Homeland Security, send a letter to the DHS Office of Inspector General. The Inspector General himself sent it to Kafari today, demanding documents and testimony. Documents are due by August 8th, testimony by August 15th. The letter they shared included some email evidence of disturbing actions and inactions of the Office of Inspector General and said, quote, these documents raise troubling new concerns that your office not only failed to notify Congress for more than a year that critical evidence in this investigation was missing, but your senior staff deliberately chose not to pursue that evidence and then appear to have taken steps to cover up these failures. The emails they show and the memoranda, this excerpts from memoranda show that they changed language and emailed each other about it. And Andrew Torres, as I said, and I will go over this letter line by line on tomorrow's Cleanup on Aisle 45. That podcast is free wherever you get your podcasts, so check it out. All right, I'll be right back with the host of the Care Talk podcast, Laura Packard. You don't want to miss this discussion. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, let's talk about something I use literally every day, every morning before I go to the gym. I started taking Athletic Greens AG1 a while ago because I wanted more energy and I wanted an optimized immune system, and I wanted to get all of my supplements in one place because with one delicious scoop of AG1 from Athletic Greens, you get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. The special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, which is really important right now because BA5 is rampant, your energy, recovery, focus, aging, all the things, and it tastes delicious. Uh, I want to thank Athletic Greens for their support, and they're offering you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase when you go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans. Athletic Greens is lifestyle-friendly, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, while still tasting fantastic. I love it so much. Uh, I take it with, with me when I travel, and that, that's why those travel packs come, come in handy so much. And Athletic Greens is climate-neutral, and they're climate-neutral certified. In 2020, Athletic Greens purchased carbon credits that support projects protecting old-growth rainforests. I love that. And right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. Just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and those five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And before I take my AG1 every morning, I get a wonderful night's sleep. And there's a reason behind that. I used to have sleep problems. I couldn't fall asleep. I couldn't stay asleep. I would have night sweats. I'd toss and turn. And that's because I was sleeping on a mattress made for somebody else. And it all changed when I ordered my custom mattress from Helix Sleep. Uh, Helix Sleep has this two-minute online sleep quiz I took. It matched me with the perfect mattress, the Helix Midnight, because I'm a side sleeper and I like a medium firm bed. 
And it's such an upgrade from my old mattress. I could never go back. Helix Sleep is a premium mattress brand that provides tailored mattresses based on your unique sleep preferences. The Helix lineup now includes 14 unique mattress models, including a collection of luxury mattresses, a mattress for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress made just for kids. It was designed for children 3 to 12 years old and has been awarded Best Mattress Winner by Parents Magazine. Uh, Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than sleeping on it in your home. That's why they offer you a 100-night risk-free trial. Try out your new Helix mattress, see how your body adjusts, and if you decide it's not the best fit, you're welcome to return it for a full refund. They'll come pick it up, too. It even ships to you for free. It's easy to put together. You don't even need tools. And right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners. Just head to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Everybody, welcome back. I'm happy to uh, bring my friend back on. She is the executive director of Healthcare Voter and the founder of Healthcare Voices and a nationally known healthcare advocate. Please welcome Laura Packard. Hi, Laura. Hi, thanks for having me. Okay, so we have a problem. (laughs) We don't have Roe anymore. We don't have the protections of Roe anymore. And so everyone's wondering, what are the things that Democrats can do now? What can't they do now? What should they do now? And I want to talk about a couple of those options because we'll get to the big picture in a minute because there's really only one answer. But as far as what Democrats can do now, I know Joe Biden just signed this executive order. I know the Department of Health and Human Services has said we will continue to do abortions. And uh, the Pentagon has said we will continue to do abortions. And and I just want to clarify to everybody what that means. Right. It doesn't mean that you can just go get any old abortion at a military treatment facility or VA hospital or federal hospital on federal land in a red state. What is what does that mean? We'll continue to do abortions. Well, what they mean is to save the life of the mother or a pregnant person. And that is not black and white because how do you determine whether somebody's life is at risk? Because in medicine, there's lots of shades of gray. You know, you you may be doing poorly. How poorly do you have to be doing before you then become eligible? And for example, in Dayton, Ohio, a woman was diagnosed with cancer. She cannot get chemotherapy because she's pregnant. So she has to go get an abortion, but you can't get an abortion in Ohio. So this woman just diagnosed with cancer has to travel to Indiana mm-hmm. and, you know, what, whatever backlog Indiana has, as long as Indiana can still perform abortions. So uh, it, people are facing these issues with conditions that maybe are not going to kill them this minute. Or, you know, if you are, uh, if you have an ectopic pregnancy, it will kill you. But is it going to kill you in the next five minutes? Or do they have to wait an hour or several hours for you to almost die? And in Ireland, a woman died of sepsis because they couldn't or wouldn't give her an abortion. That's part of what led to the outpouring of support to finally reform Ireland's abortion laws. Because again, medicine is not black or white. Uh, for making these decisions and doctors are scared they're going to be sued or that they're going to go to jail if they make a call in the patient's best interest that some lawyer or some Yahoo disagrees with. Yeah. And let me throw another wrench into the works because abortion saved my life, not because I was medically in danger, but mental health. You know, I aborted a rapist's baby 
And had I been forced to carry that pregnancy to term or or raise a rapist's baby, I would probably not be here because of the trauma of the rape. And then you add that trauma and it's just compounding. But, you know, where is that line? You can't just say, you know, if I don't get an abortion, I'm going to kill myself. Is then the life of the mother at risk? It's it's so this, this is why we we shouldn't even have to parse this shit out, honestly. Right. I mean, abortion is health care. There is no difference between a, a physical abortion for a wanted pregnancy and an unwanted pregnancy. This is all just legal BS. Morale laws, right? And it makes people maybe feel better. I mean, there are plenty of people that are anti-abortion that would say, well, my abortion was okay. But I mean, it's all the same. It's all, you take the same pills or you have the same DNC medical procedure. There is no difference. There is no good abortion or bad abortion. There is just abortion. Yeah, agreed. Now, a lot of folks are calling on Dems to declare a public health emergency. And at first, they had said they thought about it. The White House thought about it, the administration thought about it, and they opted against it for a couple of reasons. They would be there would be a lot of lawsuits and they only had a couple of ten thousand dollars in this fund. And there really isn't much more legally they could do that can't already be done by HHS and, you know, the CDC, et cetera, FDA. So. My whole thought was just declare the just fucking declare the public health emergency. (laughs) Just do it. Like deal with the lawsuits, even though it's not going to get much done, though. I am afraid that they could declare the public health emergency, not be able to get much done and then be in trouble for not being able to get much else done for having declared it. What are your thoughts on the kinds of other things that haven't quite been done yet? but still could be done, but are really just political performance Mm -hmm. because it's not going to cure our ills. It might put little band-aids here and there. Do you know what I mean? Well, I think under the Trump administration, they had absolutely no problem with doing political theater, writing executive orders that did nothing and, you know, attempting to do things that were not going to fly. And I think the Trump administration, the base supported the Trump administration for that because it looked like they were fighting. And right now it needs to look like Biden and the Democrats are fighting, even if it doesn't result in a win. We need to look like we are taking this seriously and that losing Roe versus Wade is not just an opportunity to text you for more money. But <laughs> to do something. And we, we, I mean, we're realists. We recognize that what they do is going to be minimal and is not going to have much of an effect, but they need to at least look like they're fighting. They want to inspire people like you and me and the thousands of people listening to this to, you know, be enthusiastic and volunteer this fall. Right. Cause yeah, we could, we could sit around and, and explain have explainers and pamphlets about how declaring a public health emergency wouldn't really move the needle. Or you could just fucking do it and take the lawsuit up to the Supreme Court and then have everybody mad at the Supreme Court for not allowing your executive order to go through. There is another, you know, kind of a back burner idea where everyone's like, look, we wanted to take executive power away from the president more. That's why, you know, we didn't want that Trump. Why would we do it now? It's like, well, this is you know, we're at fucking DEFCON 1 here with uh, with with not just Roe v. Wade and, and our rights and our rights to privacy, but with democracy in general. So I'm for just doing it. And if you lose in court and the Supreme Court kicks it down, their re- approval rating will fall. 
and the Republicans will be in more trouble instead of having, you know, get on the offense and don't be on back on your heels. And so finally, that leads me to, okay, so we codify Roe. Let's say we get Murkowski or, you know, brow furrowing Susan Collins to to carve out the filibuster for because it's Susan Collins fault. We're in this mess in the first place. But let's say we get them to carve out the filibuster to codify Roe. It's going to be immediately challenged in court. It will have a stay put on it so it can't be enforced. It'll go up to the Supreme Court and they'll just fucking gut it just like they would a voting rights bill or anything else we put together. I mean, if the 2013 court gutted voting rights, what do you think this court is going to do to it? And we just got a decision all explained to us by Judge Alito why they hate Roe and why it doesn't exist because it's not in the original text of the Constitution. Do you think they're going to let this law stand? There's no way they would. So the solution is <laughs> we need to expand the court. But uh, there, there's two there's two pieces. I mean, first, we need to amend or, uh, you know, eliminate the filibuster, because right now we can't get to 50 votes on anything until we fix the filibuster. And second, we need to expand the court. So what we need is for the Senate to do these things. There are not the votes in the Senate today, honestly. So what we need are more and better progressive senators. And so if you live in a state right now that hasn't had their primary yet, like perhaps you live in Wisconsin, Hmm. you should be listening to the candidates that are running. You should be asking them these questions. Do they support amending the filibuster? If so, how? Do they support expanding the court or how are they going to fix the Supreme Court and get them on record now while they're candidates? Because as we can see now, it's a it's a lot harder to move people once they're elected. When when they're still trying to get your vote, it's easier. So if you have a primary, get them on the record on these things. Make sure they know that this is what you this is what their Democratic supporters want. And next we need to get them elected in November because uh, right now the House can pass the bills all day long and then they will just die in the Senate. Yeah. And I will say this. Push in the primaries. Push, push, push. Make sure that the candidate that te- you tell him, hey, you'll get my vote if you're if for expanding the court and carving out a filibuster to do so or just killing it all together. But at least carving out a filibuster to expand the court. That's like number one, uno, number most important thing. And then, you know, pass voting rights and codify Roe and it will go to a court that won't gut it. But it's very important to remember, even if the Democrat that isn't for expanding the court wins the primary, you still need to vote for that Democrat because you can push a Democrat. They're harder to push once they're in office. But I guarantee you they're easier to push than a Republican senator. They will. You don't even have a fucking seat at the table. There won't be a table if the Republican wins. And we, we have shown, I think, pretty effectively that public pressure works. We're about to probably see a public health emergency declared, even though it's kind of useless, at least, you know, practically, not politically. Politically, it's very a good, a good card to play. And that's because of public pressure, right? That we're, we're like, no, 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 fucking do this. And then they do it. You can push a Democrat. You can push a moderate Democrat. You cannot push a Republican. So I think we fixed it. We've solved it, Laura. <laughs> Push your primary candidates to expand the court. If one that you won't expand the court or kill the filibuster doesn't win, still vote for that Democrat and then push that Democrat after they're in office. Does that sound about the best thing we can do right now? 
Absolutely. And you can see the frustration in the Senate. Like the, the Senate was never this close to amending the filibuster. And you can see them get there as as more senators see, you know, the total failure of the institution. For example, I'm here in Colorado and Senator Bennett ha- has not been supportive of a lot of these changes. But, you know, like they're inching along uh, a lot of them not mentioned in cinema on this issue, unfortunately, yet. But the rest of them, they are they're being moved along by they're, they're getting radicalized by the situation, as we all have been. So it's important to make sure that there is somebody in office that you can work with, even if they're not all the way there yet, because Susan Collins is never going to get there, probably. But if if Maine had voted differently, we would be in a mm. different situation right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And there are some that you can't push. And we've learned that and we have to make them irrelevant. And the only way to do that is to put more Dems in Congress that are pushable, at least. And again, they're more pushable than a Republican. Tell everyone where they can get information with Healthcare Voter and Healthcare Voices and, and what those organizations do. Absolutely. Well, you can find me on Twitter at L Packard. I'm also on Instagram, Facebook at Laura Packard Activist. You can find Healthcare Voter and Healthcare Voices on all of the social media platforms. And be sure to watch my show on Mondays, listen to my podcast on Tuesdays called Care Talk, where we talk about healthcare issues and we answer your questions. Experts will take on uh, your concerns and get you good answers. That's the best part of Care Talk is the interactive nature of it. I absolutely love it. Everybody check it out. I appreciate your time today. We will talk again soon, my friend, as the midterms approach. Thank you very much, Laura Packard. Thank you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody, do you feel like your finance software just isn't cutting it? Uh, Do you want the latest and greatest financial software to simplify spending and help you save time and keep you from getting trapped in busy work all the time? Check out Ramp. Ramp is a corporate card and financial software suite designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. Ramp gives finance teams unprecedented control and insight into what companies spend and how they're spending it. With Ramp, you're able to create budgets, issue cards to every employee with customized limits and restrictions, and automate your expense reporting so you can stop wasting time at the end of every month. Ramp's accounting software automatically collects receipts and categorizes your expenses in real time so you don't have to. The time you'll save each month on employee expenses will allow you to close your books in three days, not weeks. Businesses that use Ramp save an average of 3.3% the first year. And Ramp is easy to use. You can get started, issue virtual and physical cards, and start making payments in less than 15 minutes, whether you have five employees or 5,000. And right now, get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash beans. That's ramp.com slash beans. Again, R-A-M-P dot com slash beans. You'll be glad you did. Hey, everyone. It's A.G. from Muller She Wrote and The Daily Beans. And Steve Pearson from the How We Win podcast. We're bringing together some of our besties for a live super pod to raise money for the How We Win Fund and elect Democrats in November. Featuring us, of course. The hilarious Frangela duo. Ben and Brett Mazelis from the Midas Touch podcast. And the one and only Kathy Griffin. Join us on Monday, August 22nd at Largo in Los Angeles. Go to HowWeWinLive.com and get your tickets now. That's HowWeWinLive.com. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. 
Good news, good news. And if you have any good news or corrections or confessions, anything you want to send at all, especially Halloween photos, I love those. If you have a small business and you want to shout out, let me know. I'll make it happen. Uh, Whatever you send to us, you can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. You can upload your pod pet tax photos there as well. And if you don't have a pet, send us an adoptable pet in your area. We would love to see that. First up from Mooney, pronouns she and her. Good news. This summer, I've been working on photography to prepare for my upcoming trips. And here's a photo of a cooperative heron. I just finished a quilt also to the top of my bed, see attached. And it's now at the quilters. I don't have the equipment to do something so large. Thanks for all you do. I love how you stand up to the trolls and anger-filled people because democracy matters. Okay, first of all, this quilt is beautiful. I love that sort of giraffe print, those lines, those vertical lines that go down and then at the border. I love that. And then these, these horizontal stripes of different patterns. Absolutely gorgeous. That is nice. And then the heron. Hello. Hi, bird. Hi, dinosaur friend. Next up from Sandy O, pronouns she and her. My husband and I listen to your podcast every morning as we drink our cappuccinos and play a game of chess. Oh my God, that's so cool, Sandy. Are you playing chess right now? Who's winning? Who's winning? Do you guys switch the board? Does like, do you start with black one day and he starts with black the other day or do you pick out of hands? Do you like do the thing where it's just a random pick? This is, I love chess. This is so cool. I was the YMCA third grade chess champion. I was a little aggressive. My strategy was I would bait the other person to take a big piece of mine, like a knight or a rook or a bishop that would leave their queen exposed because they'd get all excited about taking my my rook and they would leave their queen exposed and I would take their queen and then I would kick their butt most of the time. I'm, I'm not good at chess anymore. <laughs> you play every day. You're probably much better than I am. Anyway, Sandy says, we are from the baby boomer generation, which means we've been fighting the good fight for decades. Yes. It's difficult to believe we are still dealing with the same issues but justice and change seem to have speed slower than we desire. That is very true. We're so appreciative of the work you're doing for all of those good hearts and minds. Although we are rarely out marching anymore, we do go to our studios every day and try to create work that inspires hope and adds beauty to the world. I've attached some of my collaged pet portraits since your love of cats and dogs comes through the airways frequently. Stay well and thank you. Thank you, Sandy. Oh, look. Oh my God, these are beautiful. So this is like, collage like decoupage maybe layers of look at that oh these are so beautiful hello doggos oh i absolutely love these if you if you do these if you want me to give you a shout out or if you want people to find you just let me know sandy i'll 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 shout it out next up from chris w oh my god (laughs) we have two cats at our condo in belize peace and calm this is calm She doesn't like to be disturbed while listening to her daily beans. She offers a chimkin leg. I accept. Thank you, Chris W. Look at this (laughs) this kitty. (laughs) That's so amazing. Oh, Condo and Belize. Peace and calm are their names. That reminds me of what about Bob? I just want some peace and quiet. I'll be quiet. I'll be peace. (laughs) This is so cute. Thank you for that. I needed that. Susie pronouns she and her. Good news. As an old hippie and one of Jerry's kids, a.k.a. Grateful Dead Freak since 1971. Nice. I saw them a few times myself. 
Uh, when my favorite band had these made after the road decision, I knew I had to have one. Proceeds go to abortion rights. Thank you for my favorite podcast of all. Oh, that's beautiful. I love it. With the little deadhead symbol in there. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you, Susie. Oh, I miss Jerry. We used to go Compton Terrace. Hmm. Those were the days. Ah, oh, save our rights. So beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for that. Next up from anonymous pronoun she and her. Hello. Just sharing a bit of random good news from last week. It's a bit of a story, but I'll try to be brief. On my way to work one morning, I saw a loose dog running around the hood. I stopped to try uh, to get him so he didn't run into a busy road. I had to text my boss that I'd be late to work. This is, by the way, a, a totally 100% always acceptable reason to be late to work. After some time and the help of some dog walkers, I was able to pick him up. No collar, no tags. But he was super sweet and let me put him in the car. So I took him to my vet to check for a chip. Also, no chip. I took some pictures, posted his picture on Facebook, Instagram, Craigslist. Eventually, I had to drop him off with my partner working from home so I could go to work. When I got home, we still hadn't heard anything. I took the pup back over to where I found him with the intention of asking around to see if anybody knew him. This is due diligence. This is, this is what's called due diligence, y'all. I pulled up in front of the house with someone standing out on the patio. As soon as she saw me get out with the dog, pointed and came running out of the house. I had somehow pulled up right in front of his house. It turned out the owner worked nights and the dog had gotten out when a family member dropped something off. He hadn't realized the dog was missing until he got up that afternoon. But he and the pup both got a happy end, and I didn't have to figure out what I was going to do if I had to keep the dog overnight. Attached, please see pictures of the pup named Ramon. Oh my God, look at this little chihuahua mix with the one ear. <laughs> well, he's got two ears, but one's up. Oh my God. Oh, I'm so glad you found the owner. What synchronicity like that is just... It blows my mind, right? More than deja vu. Deja vu is weird, but synchronicity like that, I love it. Well done. Thank you so much for helping that pup get reunited with their fam. Next up from Ashley, pronoun she and her. How about a several years late Halloween submission? Yes, Ashley, 100%. Earlier this week, someone submitted their Halloween photos and reminded me of our 2019 getup. My youngest, Millie, had been obsessed with Stranger Things since she was 15 months old. And I gave her dad a demigorgon Funko Pop for Christmas that she commandeered, calling it Scary Flower. <laughs> oh, that's great. Fast forward to the year uh, she was three and we went as the cast of Stranger Things. My husband was Hopper. I was Joyce. My son, James, was 11, perfectly, as you'll see. And Millie was the demigorgon. Thanks for keeping on. It's been needed. Look. Look, <laughs> did you make the scary flower costume? It's perfect. <gasps> oh, this is wonderful. Well done. I love the hopper outfit too. The mustache is great. <laughs> this is so good. Eleven looks great. Oh, well done. Little blood drip out of the nose. That's so perfect. And the little a bandana on the wrist. I notice. I notice these details. That is so amazing. Thank you. Thank you all for sending your art, the things that you're making, your pod pets, the incredible dog finding and lost dog story. That was so awesome. And then these Halloween photos. Everybody, just go right now, dig up some Halloween photos and send them into us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Dana will be back soon. Almost. She's almost uh, home. So 
We're looking forward to that. And uh, I will be back tomorrow with more news. It's not going to stop. It's not going to stop for a while. So uh, keep tuning in. uh, And until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Always vote blue over Q. This is a no brainer. (laughs) I've been AG and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>